So a group of us, almost, I guess, 13 pilgrims have just returned from the Holy Land. And in, in today's time, driving outside of Jerusalem, you can still see shepherds dotting the hills with their flocks. And it is this um, kind of sun-bleached, sun-baked, rocky desert landscape. And these days, these shepherds keep their sheep from straying into highway traffic or military installations. But in the olden days, they were protecting their sheep from the actual lions and tigers that prowled the Judean wilderness. This was a very dangerous place. And on the one hand, it makes sense to go after a sheep that's wandered off into this very dangerous landscape. If a sheep has strayed too far, they're probably not going to make it for very long. But on the other hand, if you are the one thing keeping your sheep from being a tiger's dinner, leaving the other 99 might not be the best strategy. You might go out, find that one erring sheep, and then come back and have a flock of one. In this parable, we're told that there will be more joy in heaven over the one repentant sinner who is found than over the 99 righteous who were left behind and needed no repentance. These righteous are presumably abandoned. They're left to fend for themselves, while only this one sinner is sought. Is this fair? Doesn't this seem kind of unreasonable, ultimately? What about all the righteous who have been steadily doing their duty, playing by the rules, working hard, staying in line? Why are they ignored for the sake of this one sinner who has just wandered off on his own through selfishness, through shirking his duty to God and neighbor? How can that be fair? In today's epistle, St. Paul admits that he was formerly the worst. Not only was he a blasphemer, and a persecutor, but a man of violence. Paul was a stormtrooper, a death squad leader. His only goal in life was murdering and imprisoning Christians. He was part of the group that murdered the first martyr, Stephen, and by his own admission, he was on the way to Damascus to commit more atrocities when he had his encounter with Christ. Paul was about as wayward a sheep as you can possibly be. And he made what was undoubtedly the most radical about-face in the history of Christianity when he went from murdering Christians to serving the church. But after mentioning this turn in his life from persecuting the church to living for it, Paul says, The saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. So he doesn't say, I used to be the foremost. I was the foremost for a while. There was, I had a good run when I was the foremost. He says, I am, present tense, right now, the foremost among sinners. And this is Paul, who wrote the majority of the books of the New Testament, who spread the church from Syria all the way to Rome, who was jailed and beaten and shipwrecked and did all these awful things, and then eventually gave his life to witness to the church. And he says not... I was a decent guy, I did my best, I was pretty good, all things considered, but I was, I am the worst, the foremost among sinners. So if Paul is an errant sheep, rather than a righteous one, then what are the rest of us? So our culture is obsessed with making sure that we feel good about ourselves, making sure that we feel confident, making sure that we feel worthy. We tell ourselves, I deserve this thing. Or, I am good enough to have that thing. 
And we have so convinced ourselves that we are part of the 99 righteous sheep that we want to object to Christ's words in this gospel, not even realizing what side we're on. In today's gospel, the upstanding citizens of Jerusalem have gathered around Christ, and they're criticizing him for eating with sinners, with prostitutes, with corrupt rich people. They were so sure that they were getting everything right that they couldn't even see themselves as in need of his help. We often think about sin in terms of criminal offenses like murder and theft. We believe that if we are innocent on these counts, then we're actually doing a pretty good job. But this is to confuse two different things. Evaluating your relationship with God by the laws of secular morality. This is like trying to play chess by the rules of checkers. It's confusing two different systems. Sin is not just committing moral infractions. Sin is every way in which we fall short of loving God with all our heart and mind and strength. It's falling short of being filled with love for God, with thankfulness to God, being filled with prayer and making every action of our lives an expression of his will. Sin is not just murdering your brother. It's any failure to look after your brother in the same way that you look after yourself to address his hunger as quickly as you address your own hunger, to rush to ease his anxiety or loneliness or sadness as quickly as you would like to ease your own. So, who among us is in those 99 righteous sheep? We are made in the image and likeness of God, the image and likeness of him who is the source of all love. So we've actually been created for this righteousness. Our hearts have been given all the tools we need for this project of selfless love towards God and our neighbor. But we become so distracted and so afraid and so selfish that we refuse to undertake the work. We take all that God has given us, but then we fail to do his will. And when we realize this, there are these sort of two common reactions that take place among people, and both of them are really debilitating. So the first is to feel bad about yourself. I'm terrible. I'm worthless. I'm a monster. I'm a worm and no man. I don't deserve the love of God. And the other is to just ignore the fact that you're lost. Well, I'm no saint, but who is really? I'm doing my best, I'm sure God understands. Being overwhelmed by guilt or dismissing sin is no big deal. These are both terrible traps that we fall into and they can draw us even further from God. If you got a bad case of pneumonia and you decided that your sickness made you just unworthy to come before a doctor, that you shouldn't even enter the hospital because you're too sick, that would be insane. Like, the only reason the doctor came to work that morning is to cure you of your pneumonia. They're just, like, waiting around in the exam room, like, what time is she going to show up? Like, that's the only reason they're there for. You're never too sick to come before a doctor. You're not unworthy. And in like manner, if you say, yeah, it's pneumonia, but, I mean, what's a little pneumonia? It's not a big deal. I'm still going to go to work today. Like, i got to go work out right now. You're probably not going to live to tell the tale. Instead of either feeling too badly about yourself, or pretending like the sickness is no big deal, 
You need to rush to the hospital and be cured. Sin, our distraction from loving God and our unwillingness to love our neighbor, it's a deadly sickness infecting all of us. So we need to flee to the good physician. We need to flee to Christ. When we either feel too guilty to be worthy of healing or pretend that our sin is no big deal, we're putting ourselves in a terrible situation. Instead, we have to cast off our guilt, cast off our sense of unworthiness. We have to cast off our complacency and our self-deception and flee to Christ, opening our hearts to him in prayer, taking up our crosses of patience and kindness and service to others and be healed. So the church has this old-fashioned word for coming before Jesus to be healed, and it's called repentance. And repentance is not feeling guilty or worthless. Instead, it's turning to Christ for help. It's setting down your false sense of perfection and importance and coming before him honestly to ask for his help. It's admitting how far you are from the perfect love of, your, of God and your neighbor and asking for the grace to be healed in the knowledge that, as St. Paul says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. So all this starts with putting down your pride and becoming humble. Humility sometimes seems like just an aspect of good manners. Nobody likes a braggart, so it's better to kind of downplay your achievements. You know, don't talk too much about all the great things you've done. But this is not the point of humility at all. Humility is not something you do to please others or even to please God. Humility is something you do just for yourself. Pride pretending that we're doing a pretty good job in spite of our limitations, imagining that we are part of the 99 righteous sheep, this doesn't make God love us any less. Instead, it blinds us to how much we need him. Pride blinds us to his mercy. It blinds us to his love and goodness and grace. While humility, admitting along with St. Paul that we are sinners, admitting with the poor, the corrupt rich, the thieves, and the prostitutes who gathered around Jesus that we actually need him. This opens us up to be healed, to be transformed, to feel the intensity of God's love for us. In this gospel, there's nothing unfair or wrong about this metaphorical shepherd who abandons the 99 righteous to save one sinner. Because the one sinner is every single one of us every single human being. And the only righteous one is the shepherd himself. So what do we do? Well, there are two steps. The first is humility. It's admitting to Christ, confessing to Christ in prayer that you are lost, that you're sick, that you need his help. And the second is taking up your cross and following him. It's beginning to say to yourself, no, no to my pride, no to my judgment, no to my fear or my anger. And it's trusting that following all these things won't ever fulfill you, won't ever heal you, but that he will. To be found by Christ is not the hard work of earning salvation through being perfect. Nor is it being overwhelmed with guilt and feeling terrible about yourself. 
Instead, to be saved by Christ, you have to trust in the Good Shepherd, to follow his teaching and to allow him to take you into his arms and carry you home. Amen.